just by way of context, just to do a kind of a short little review, at the beginning of chapter 6 in Romans, Paul asked a question. He said this. He said, shall we continue in sin so that grace should abound? You see, Paul was making the argument that salvation is by grace alone. And, and, the, and his, his critics would have said, well, then if it's by grace alone, I can live any way that I want. So it really doesn't matter how I live my life. I'm just going to continue sinning because it's fun and I enjoy it. And I'll just continue getting grace. And then God will be happy because he can give me all the grace that he has. And I can be happy because I can have all the sin that I want. And Paul says to that, no. God forbid, we're certainly not, is the way that he answers that question. That's not what it's for. And then he went on to tell them about our identification in Christ. He said that as many of us were baptized into Christ Jesus, we're baptized into his death. Therefore, we're buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we as believers should walk in newness of life. So we kind of debunks that idea that we can live any way that we want as Christians. And then he goes on and he continues in chapter 6 and he tells, and I'm going to make a few statements here. He tells us to reckon ourselves to be dead indeed to sin. Reckon yourself to be dead. Consider it, consider dead. Sin's not a part of your life. Don't have anything to do with it. Reckon yourself to be dead, but alive to God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. He said, don't let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should be obeying its lust. He said, don't present your members as instruments of, of, uh, as instruments of unrighteousness. Don't present them to sin, but present them to uh, instruments of righteousness to God. He said, for sin shall not have dominion over you. It shouldn't have dominion over you. For you are not under the law, but you're under grace. And then as we came to chapter 6, verse 15, he asked another question. He said, should we sin because we're not under the law? Because he had just told them, you're not under the law, you're under grace. So therefore, what's going on with the law, Paul? Should we sin because we're not under the law? So therefore, there's no law, which means I can do whatever I want. That's, as a Christian, we're not underneath of that law anymore. We're not judged by that law. So we can live any way that we want. And again, he would answer, certainly not, or God forbid. Don't even think about it. He would tell us to, whoever you're presenting yourselves as slaves to obey, that one thing, that person, that thing is your master. That's what has you under its control. It says, he says, you've been set free from sin and you've become slaves of righteousness. And he tells us that we're to present our members as slaves of righteousness. And last week, we came to the beginning of chapter 7 in the first uh, 12 verses. And uh, we looked at those verses and Paul asked another question. He said, do you not know, brethren... For I speak to those who know the law, which means he's speaking to Jewish believers here, that the law has dominion over a man as long as he lives. And he also, we talked about how that's kind of, that, that the Greek there is a very vague, it, it cover, it's a very largely encompassing meaning law, meaning rules has dominion over a man. As long as a man's alive, as long as you're alive, there's breath in your lungs, you are under some sort of law. Right, whether it be the law of the county, the state, the municipality. If you go to school, it's the law of your schools. If you go to work, you've got to follow the laws of your workplace, the rules of your workplace. So we're always under some sort of, some sort of law there. But he also, he, he, he went and he said this in verse 4, My brethren, you've become dead to the law. Now he speaks back towards our relationship with the law as Christians. We've become dead to the law through the body of Christ that we might be married to another. You see, before we followed Christ, we were married to the law. We're stuck on the law, and that's how we were, we were forced to, to be right before God. As a Jewish believer, if you wanted to be right before God, how did you do it? You kept the law. And if you kept the law better than your neighbor did, well, you were looked, you were looked up as highly. You were maybe even considered a Pharisee, the, the, the keepers of the law. And, and you wanted to be better than, that's, that's the way that you showed God on how, how, look how good I'm doing, God. Look what I'm doing for you. I'm, I'm obeying as many of your commandments as, as, as I can. 
But then he says that as Christians, we've become dead to the law. Remember, we're our death and our resurrection. We identify with Christ, with his death and with his resurrection. To him who was raised from the dead, that we should bear fruit to God, which is why we become dead to the law. Not so that we could live any way that we want, but so that as believers, we could bear fruit to God. That we could do things for him. We could grow for him and accomplish his will. And then in verse 7 of chapter 7, he asks again, what shall we say then? Paul, in other words, are you saying, is the law sin? Is the law bad? Is the, is the law just a big waste of time? Are the rules that I put in my life that I want to study the Bible every morning, that I want to have devotionals, all of the things that I structure my Christian life around, are they, are they sin? Are they bad? And Paul would answer that question as well. No, God forbid, certainly not. But he continues to tell us a few things about the law. He says the law helps us to recognize what sin is. You see, the law is what defines it for you. The law, the, law set, the law draws the line in the sand. Don't do this, do that. But it also draws the line in the sand for you. When you set rules and, and regulations upon yourself, it draws a line in the sand because you, I'm going to relate to God based on this rule. I'm going to relate to God based on me getting up and doing my devotionals every morning. And if I do them, then I'm, I'm in right standing with God. But if I don't, then I'm in wrong standing with God. And the first morning you sleep in or the first morning you don't feel good or the first morning you're sick and you don't do it, all of a sudden you've broken your own law, which puts you in wrong standing with God. So Paul says, is the law sin? He says, no, it helps us to recognize what sin is. But it brings death. The law brings death. It brings problems. Why? Because you can't keep it. You can't, no matter how hard you try to keep the rules, you're going to break. You ever tried to keep the speed limit? How many of you have, how many can raise your hand and say, I have never broke that, that speed limit? And, well, I don't drive, so that doesn't count. <laughs> if you have a driver's license, my son Jacob, where's Jacob? He's not, where's he at? There he is, he's back there. He's got his learner's permit. He, he's already speeding. So slow down. First, when they first start, it's like speed up, and it's like slow down. If you think you can do it, just pick one and go ahead and try it. Never break a law. Just pick, just pick speeding. You leave here today. I don't think you can make it to lunch without speeding. Because the way they change the... Never mind. He said the law brings death to us because we can't keep it. But he also says the law is holy. He says the law, the commandment is holy, it's just, and it's good. So it's not a bad thing. It exposes us. And Paul would later say, or not Paul, but whoever wrote the Hebrews, I personally believe it was Paul, but we're not sure of that. The author of Hebrews would talk about this, and it would say, we're going to see it even later in Romans, that the, laws, the, laws would, it, it, the purpose of the law was to show us that we needed a Savior, that we, that we felt that we fall short. It, it sets the standard that when you look at your life, don't compare your life to the person sitting next to you and say, well, I'm a better person than they are. Compare yourself to the Word of God. How does God's word say that I should be living? What should I be doing? What shouldn't I be doing? And that's the standard by which you compare because it's too easy to look at the person next to you or your friend and go, well, I'm doing better than they are. Good for me, bad for you. I mean, I get an A plus, you get an F. But yet in when you hold your life up next to the word of God, maybe you're both getting Fs and you feel better about yourself because, you just, because you're doing better than somebody else. Paul says that's not the case. The law, it's not bad in itself. The problem is you, not the law. The rules aren't the problem. They're easy. They're clear. They're very clearly delineated. Don't do this. The problem is you can't not do it. No matter how hard you try, you're going to fall short. And now as we come into verse 13, let's see what Paul has to say this morning as he continues with this thought on the law. He says in verse 13, Has then what is good become death to me? In other words, has the law, it's good. The law is good. He just told you in previously in verse 12, the law is good. Has then what has become, has good, has it become death to me? 
Certainly not. He's pretty good at asking these questions and answering them for us. Certainly not. But sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good. That's the law. So that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. He starts out by saying, has what is the thing that's good? If the law is good, has that become death to me? And he's referring to the law here. He just told us it was good. Has it become death to me? Is it dead to me? Paul would say no. The law isn't what's become death. The problem isn't with the law. Sin inside of me was producing death in me. The problem is when the law came, it was good, but it showed me what my sin is. It's like an x-ray machine. You put it over the broken bone, it'll show you that the bone's broken. The law shows you what the sin is. It, sh- it defines for you what is good. The good thing that he says, that's, he's referring to the law, he says it caused me to become exceedingly sinful. It caused me to become exceedingly sinful. Why? Because every time I mess up, I'm reminded of it. Every time I make that rule and I don't keep it, I'm reminded of it. Every time I make a New Year's resolution and I failed on it, I'm reminded I didn't com- complete the I'll just make it next year. We'll just start over. I, we, we can't, we keep messing that up. He's Paul saying the law, the purpose of the law, it showed me that I am exceedingly sinful. I, 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 I have a tendency to sin, I'm exceedingly sinful. Then what's the problem, Paul? Look at verse 14. He says, we know that the law is spiritual, but I, I'm the problem. He says, but I am carnal, I am sold under sin. Paul makes it very clear, the law is spiritual. The problem's not the law, the problem's not the rules. You know, you might, I I use the analogy quite often or the illustration quite often about, you know, doing morning devotions. Morning devotions are important in the life of a believer, but the problem is, is we're going to fall short of that. And if you look to those kinds of things, if you look to your successes and failures with those rules, even with sin in your life, for your relationship with God, you're always going to be falling short. You're never going to be measuring up. You're always going to be always on the wrong side of that. Paul says the standard of, of, of the law is not the problem. The fact that you get up and say, I want to do devotion to the Lord every morning is not the problem. The problem is you. The problem is me, that we're not perfect. Paul says, I know what I'm supposed to do. I know that I'm supposed to be there. The problem is not the law. It's good. It's spiritual. The problem, Paul says, is me. I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. I like that. He makes it very clear. I'm carnal. I'm carnal. I'm sold under sin. What does the word carnal mean? What does the word carnal mean? Some people, when you think of carnal, you think right to sin. It's sin. It doesn't necessarily mean sin. Carnal means flesh. It means, it means it's, just, it's, it's worldly. It's fleshly. It's just everyday life. It's, it's, it's just kind of, it, it, it means this. Behavior that is typical to human nature, but it is not necessarily sinful. It could be sinful. Carnality, maybe you've heard the term carnal Christians before. It's the, the picture that somebody, they're just following the world. They're just following what everybody else is doing. It's, it's not necessarily sinful, but they're, but they're not following Christ. It's just, it's just everyday life, so to speak. And Paul's saying, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. I know the law. It's made it clear. I'm trying to keep the law, I'm, but I'm under the control of sin. Sin has this control in my life. One commentator said, sin has foreclosed the mortgage and owns its slave. Meaning sin is the master and we become the slave and and, and we're the slave there. Uh, At this point, in in Paul's message here, in, in, in his writing, he's referring to himself, right? And there becomes a great debate in Christianity. Uh, Some commentators believe that Paul's referring to his life before he came to Christ, when he was under the law. 
Other commentators, other Bible scholars believe that Paul is referring to his life as a believer in Jesus Christ. You see, some people think Paul's describing, and he's going to go on to describe this struggle, this battle that he has in his life. And some say, oh yeah, that's before he, got, before he chose to follow Christ. Others say, no, 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 this is what's going on in the life of a believer. Well, which is it? Well, hang with me. We'll, we'll figure it out as we go along. Paul is a Christian sold under sin. Sin is the problem. Look at verse 15. Here's what his life looks like. Here's what he's talking about. For what I am doing, I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. Paul says, I don't understand what's going on. I want to keep the law, but I don't. I want to keep it. In fact, the things that I hate are the very things that I end up doing. I want to do what's right. In my heart and my mind, I want to do what's right, but I keep falling short over and over and over again. I keep failing in my flesh over and over again. Then look at verse 16. If, then... I do what I will not to do. I agree with the law that it is good. Since I'm doing the, in other words, what he's saying, since I'm doing the things that are contrary to the law and the things that I hate, because I don't really like doing them, I'm saying the law is good. In other words, I'm doing, by, by the mere fact as Paul's saying, I'm doing things I, I hate, the law says I shouldn't be doing those things. I'm agreeing with the law that says I shouldn't be doing those things, but I keep doing them. That's the problem that Paul's, Paul's putting out before us. That's why he hates them. So Paul, why do you keep doing the things you hate and the things you don't want to do? What is it in your life? Why is this struggle taking place in your life? And just to remind you the question, do you think this is before he comes to Christ or do you think it's after he comes to Christ? So what's going on, Paul? But look at verse 17. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Paul says, I'm not even the one doing this. Paul says, sin is dwelling in me. It's inside of me. The sin is at work before the law, but when the law came, it magnified my sin, clearly defined it. Now I, and I, don't, I can't even stop. I, I want to keep the law so bad. Now remember, Paul was a Pharisee. He was described as a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a very, uh, probably the best Bible scholar to ever live, wrote most of the New Testament or underneath of his control. We have most of the New Testament through, through Luke and Acts, through Luke and Paul. And so many of the letters are his. It's incredible what he's saying. And then here he's describing this. When it came to keeping the law, he was at the top of his game. He was a Pharisee. He was a keeper of the law. He was, the, the law meant everything to him. It, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't like Paul was, was living a heathen life. He was, he was trying to keep the law. That, that was his focus. And now he lets us in on this struggle in his life on what's going on. And look at verse 18. He says, For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me. To will is present with me. But how to perform what is good, I don't find it. I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not do. But the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Paul says, in my flesh there's nothing good that's dwelling. Sure, I will to do what's right, but I can't perform it. I want to do what's right, but I just can't seem to keep the law. The very evil, the very thing that I know is evil, I describe it as evil. I don't want to do it, yet I keep doing it. I keep practicing it. And Paul's referring to the violation of the Hebrew laws here. Now, what does practice mean? It means to keep doing it. Think about practice. You, you continually, if you go to soccer practice or football practice or baseball, you're continuing, you're getting better at something, you're practicing, you're continuing in something. Brings us to the question, Paul, why do you keep doing it? Just stop. What's the big deal, Paul? Why do you keep doing the things you don't want to do? Look what he says in verse 20. 
Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. In other words, he's saying I do these evil things because sin is residing in me. The sin that lives within me, that's what's causing me to do these evil things. So what does it mean? Look at verse 21. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. To sum it all up, Paul says, I figured out two things. I figured out that evil is present with me, and I have a will to do good, but I just can't seem to make it happen. But he goes on to explain a little bit about his will to do good. He says, for I delight in the law of God. I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Let me ask you a question again. Where's Paul at in his life? Is this, is this the life of a believer, a follower of Jesus Christ that's, that's warring in his members? Or is this the life of somebody who's, who's struggling with the law, someone who's trying to find righteousness before God with the law? He, say, he says it clearly, I, I, I like the law of God. I delight in the law of God. On the inside, I, it, it's, it's what I think about. It's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to, in a sense, earn my salvation, he would say. But I keep falling short. It's like there's a, can you see the battle that's taking place in Paul's life? As he's describing this, can you see the, the turmoil that's in his heart? He's, he's, he's literally describing a situation. I'm busted up about this. I, want, I don't want to live this kind of life. I'm making these stupid choices over and over again, and I know they're wrong, but I keep doing them. It's, it's something that keeps happening. Now, is this before Christ or is this after Christ? Rob, you keep asking that question. Why? Because I think it's one that we need to address because it's going to say a lot. You see, most Bible scholars, I guess if you were to take a look at the majority, would say that this is Paul's life after he came to Christ. Most of them would say that's the case, that after Paul came to Christ, he, 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 this, is, this is what he's describing. And they would, they would, use, this, they would use an argument, a, a two-pronged argument, they would say this, that someone who hasn't come to Christ, someone who's an atheist or a heathen or living a, a foolish life or a sinful life, well, they would never struggle with sin. They would never have this kind of inward turmoil in their life because it's only someone who was trying to please God that would have this kind of inward turmoil. It's not someone who didn't care about God or didn't believe in God. They're comfortable in their flesh. They could live however they want, and many would even refer to their own, uh, their own lives. They would look at their own life and they say, you know what, Paul, I can relate to that. I know, I know what you're going through because I'm, I'm, I'm a Christian, and, and I, I struggle sometimes, but I do things that I don't want to do. And I, that makes sense to me, and, I, and I could, I, I'm right there with you, Paul. I've, I've done that. I, I, that's, when, you, when you talk about Romans, man, I'm right there. The things I don't want to do and the things I don't want to, the things I, I want to do I don't do, and the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. That would be one half of the argument. That's where, that's where the majority, I would say, probably lie. But there's another side of the argument. There's another group of people that look at this section of scripture and they say, Paul's not referring to his life as a believer. What a pathetic life as a believer that would be. Can you imagine being sold under sin as a believer? What, what good news, what gospel, what good news is there in that? If, if, if in fact that argument would hold true, that, Paul, that Paul's struggling and, and a non-believer wouldn't hold true, they would say, wait a minute, the gospel's supposed to be good news. Why would you go to someone who's not struggling with this inward turmoil, tell them to believe in Jesus Christ, so now they can struggle for the rest of their Christian life? You say, well, that makes sense too. What, what, that, 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 that doesn't really, really fit. Well, how, how, how come? What if the gospel, if, if this is what the gospel does, it takes somebody like the apostle Paul and leaves them with an internal struggle? Man, who wants to live that way? 
Who wants to go that who wants to go down that road? How could you even rightfully evangelize a non-believer? If you're going to be truthful, you must tell them that, listen, like Paul, you're going to come struggle for the rest of your life. You're going to be in and out of turmoil. It's going to be, it's going to be hard, and you're going to do evil even though you don't want to do, and you're going to have no control because sin is dwelling in you, and you are sold under sin. Now let me ask you, which side do you fall on? You go, well, I don't know. You really got me confused. I was pretty good at the first one. Now you started the second one. I'm not sure what to do. That's what we're waiting for you to tell us. You see, when you look at the argument, you say, what is it? Which one is it? I think to understand what Paul's talking about, we need to go back and, and understand where he's coming from. Before Paul followed Christ, he wasn't a heathen. He was not a Christian, but he, wasn't, he was still a, a, a Pharisee. He still believed in God, Yahweh God. He was still dedicated to serving God. All of the things that he did in, in persecuting Christians in his mind at that time were because he thought he was serving God properly. He thought he was doing the right thing. He thought he was upholding the law. So I, to take Paul and say, well, this is the picture of a heathen, somebody before Christ, I don't think that's a very accurate statement. I think when we look at Paul's life, we have somebody who wants to serve Christ, but they keep falling short because of sin in their life. They, keep, they, they have a desire to, to know the Lord. They want to be right with God. They want to be just before God. They want to be this, but they keep living a life that just bounces back and forth between good and bad. They're, they're kind of on the fence because I don't think Paul fits into that, that heathen category, so to speak. I think Paul, you know, like I said, he wasn't a Christian, but he wanted to do the right thing. But I think the problem is too many Christians look at their own experiences. And as they look and they go, well, that's me. I fit into that. I, 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 I'm kind of like that. I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, and, and I struggle with this, this sin in my life, and, and I bounce back and forth, and I'll do good for a while, then I'll fall off, and I'll do good. And they, then they begin to take their own experiences, and they plug it into the Word of God. I think we need to let the Word of God plug into us. Rather than try to interpret the word of God through my life's experiences, I want to interpret the word of God through the truth of God's word. Because Paul's going to go on something here, and he's going to clear everything up for us. So whether it's Paul's life before he comes to Christ, or whether it's Paul's life after he comes to Christ, doesn't really matter because he's going to tell us the solution of it. He's going to tell us what to do about it. So if you're one of the believers that says, you know what, I can relate to Paul, I think that's him as a Christian, he's going to tell you how to solve that problem in his life. Because I can assure you, Paul didn't spend his whole life battling back and forth with sin. I don't think that he spent his entire life doing the things that he didn't want to do. I think that he came under the law. As he held his life up to the law, he kept falling short. But then look what he says in verse 24. He's going to clearly answer the question for us. Look what he says. Oh, wretched man that I am. O oh, wretched man that I am. That's the position he's in. As he's internal struggle, as this battle's taking place. O oh, wretched, wretched means unhappy. It means miserable. It means distressed. I don't think that's the life of a believer. But look what he says. Who, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who's going to deliver me? Who's going to fix this problem? Who's going to help me stop this struggle? Who's going to take care of this? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Who's going to deliver me? Who's going to rescue? It means to rescue from danger with the implication of the danger in question is severe and acute. Who's going to deliver me from this problem? And Paul says, I thank God. Jesus Christ is the one to deliver me. 
Jesus Christ will be the one that delivers me. Notice it's a who and not a what. If you are the person that says, I can relate to Paul, I am struggling every day, every week, every month. I don't do these things. I need deliverance. Give me a program. It's not in a program. It's not in steps. It's not in a book. It's in a who. Who's going to deliver me? Jesus Christ is going to deliver me. Jesus, who's, oh, wretched, oh, miserable, unhappy, distressed person that I am. Who's going to deliver me from this body of death? He said, Jesus Christ is going to be the one that delivers you. It's not a program. It's a who. It's a, it's a belief in Jesus Christ. He would go on to say, so then with my mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. You see, Paul's going to set up this and he's going to say, listen, as a believer, you have an option. You can serve the law of God or you can serve the law of sin. You can reckon your body to be dead or you can go ahead and keep serving your flesh. There's an option there. And when we were studying back in chapter 6, we made it very, very clear that sin no longer has dominion over us. This is something a believer needs to understand and be very, very clear on. You do not have to have this struggle in your mind. You don't have to have this struggle with sin. You can overcome it. You can over, you, you've, you've, you, how do I overcome it, Rob? In Christ. In Christ. Don't look for the program to help you overcome it. Don't look for the internet-based program that will help you. Don't look for the addiction program. Christ, I believe, is the good news that sets us free. And he has set me free in my life in many, many areas. He's not done setting me free, and he's not done setting you free. And Paul's not saying that you will never sin again. He's simply saying you now have a choice. Someone who's not a believer in Jesus Christ will go on and continue for the rest of their life doing what they don't want to do, making mistakes, falling short, following, letting their fleshly desires lead them however they line up with whatever moral system they put in place for themselves. Someone who comes under Jesus Christ, yes, they can do the same thing. You can struggle for the rest of your Christian life in that, in that sin if you want. You can go back and forth going, oh, I don't want to do it. I'm just like Paul. That's who Paul was. That's not what Paul did. Paul said, who's going to deliver me from this? Thanks be to Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is going to deliver me from it. Paul was free from the law. He would, he would, he would no longer be bound to the law. When, the, when you're not under the law, it has no more influence under you, over you. It's not a matter of whether do I want to keep the law. It doesn't, it doesn't even exist in my life. It, it doesn't even, it doesn't even, it's not even there. I'm just focused on serving God. Let me, let me illustrate it to you this way. Do you remember back when you were in high school? Some, maybe some of you aren't there yet. You don't, Andrew doesn't remember yet. You're not there yet. All right, you'll get there. Well, you're homeschooled, so it doesn't count. <laughs> when you were in high school, there were certain laws and certain rules that you had to follow, right? You couldn't chew gum, couldn't run in the hall. I don't know what they were, you know, whatever they were. Do you ever sit around thinking about what your high school rules were? Do they have any influence over you now? Is it something that you go, wow, you know, back when I went in high school, I couldn't chew gum. I'm going to chew gum now. <laughs> no, you didn't, you didn't, you, it, it doesn't even exist in your mind. Paul's leading us down the path that says, listen, when you follow Christ, focus on him. Focus on Christ, not all the other stuff. Sometimes Christians get so focused on their sin and what they're doing wrong, they take their eyes off Christ. And it become, their life becomes centered around their sin. It becomes, well, I, I'm doing this wrong. I've got to get into a program. I've got to go do this. I've got to stop. If, if you would just stop looking at that and start looking at Christ, you'll find that will take care of itself. Because he sets you free from it. But we often live in bondage to sin because we won't realize that we've been delivered from it. As a believer, you do not have to have that struggle. I personally believe that Paul's talking about his life as he was trying to keep the law before he came to Christ. And I know the argument against that would be, well, then you must be saying that you, you must be living a perfectly sin-free life. No, that's not the case. 
But what I do know is exactly what Paul said. I am now presented with a choice on how I'm going to live. I can either follow my flesh or I can walk in the spirit, as, as Paul would say later on in Galatians. With my mind, I myself serve the law of master, but with the flesh, the law of sin. In other words, it's not, it's not both. It's one or the other. It's one or the other. Remember, flesh, carnality, it's the things of the world. It's the, it's the things of the world. This is good news for us. As believers, this should be, if, if you've never heard this before, that you don't have to be in bondage to sin, then this morning is the morning you get set free from whatever you've been struggling with, forever, however long you've been struggling. You don't have to walk out of here struggling with the sin in your life. You can, you can lay it down at the foot of the cross this morning, you can leave it, and you can walk out of here completely set free. Well, what if I do it again? Well, then you picked it back up. You, you, mean, you, mean, you mean, Rob, I can take whatever my, whatever my sin is, whatever my addiction is, whatever, and I can, I can stop it this morning. Absolutely. Absolutely. You can. How do I do that? You lay it at the foot of the cross. You, you repent. You turn away from it, and you leave it. Now, that doesn't mean you won't have the option to pick it back up. But do you know where the struggle comes in? Struggles only happen when there's a choice. Think about it. If there's no choice in your life, there's no struggle. If you take away the option, if you take away the choice, I'm not going to do this thing any longer. It's not even, it's not who I am. And I'll just, I'll use, I'll use my own life. And I don't drink anymore. I haven't drank in a number of years. I took that choice off. It's not an option for me. Now, it doesn't mean that there's never a temptation. But it's not, it's, when temptation comes, it's very easy. I, I'm not, I don't do that anymore. It's not who I am. That's not, it, it's, it's not even, I don't think about it. I don't think about, oh, I wish I could go have a beer again, or oh, I wish I could. It's not even, my mind isn't even there. I don't even want to walk there. But if, it's, if it was, if I brought it up and I thought, wow, man, kind of rough day at church. They were kind of mean to me today. I think I need to go home and have a beer. Then what happens? Glass of wine, maybe. Yeah, wine's good for the stomach. I can make that work. No, and then, and then the struggle happens. Then, then that, well, I, then the justification to, oh, I could. Well, I wouldn't, I mean, no one would know, and it would make me feel a little better. And what I start to do, to go down that road. If I don't open the door, I'd never walk into the room. In other words, if the, if the option is not on the table, it's not a struggle, it's not a choice. But so often we leave sin on the table for ourselves. We leave it there. I want to play with it. I kind of like it. I don't want to give that up yet. I'm still kind of, well, or, or we make this mistake. I want to want to quit, but I don't really want to quit. I wish I didn't want to do it, but I, but I still kind of do. You see, that's the beautiful thing about the Lord. He says, I'll give you the power to overcome the sin in your life. I'll give you the power. I've given you the power in Christ to do that. You don't have to live in bondage to sin, but you have to make the choice to believe what Christ has done. And the biggest mistake that Christians make is they look at their own life and go, ah, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. I am living, breathing proof to tell you when I came to this passage of scripture and I read it and I studied it years ago, it set me free from sin in my life that I've been struggling with for a long time. As a Christian, I was struggling. As a, as a believer, I was struggling. I wanted to get past it. I kept, I kept falling short and falling short and falling short. And I came here and, I opened my, and my eyes were open. I said, wait a minute, I don't have to do this. I, all I have to simply do is believe what God's word says. I don't take my experience and I plug it into the Bible. I take the Bible and I plug it into my life. That's the way it works. And if, if I do that, go, I'm free. Romans chapter 6 tells me I'm free from sin. I'm dead to sin. I'm free from sin. You know, reckon my old, old man to be dead. It, it's, it's there throughout. It's just a matter of, of will, we, will we do that? 